0: Everybody, welcome to Rachel's Reviews. This is our eleventh episode of the Female Film Critics Panel. I'm so excited to get to talk to very special film critics and and uh, professionals today. I'm really thrilled to have Gray Drake is here. Hello. Yes, and Caitlin Booth is here. Hello. Yes, thank you so much, ladies, for coming on the the podcast and talking with us. I'm so excited.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. So, what I like to do is give you both a chance to introduce yourself and tell us how you became a content creator and critic. And Gray, why don't you start?
2: I am a former filmmaker and a always movie nerd. And eventually, after starting my own podcast, I got hired to write movie reviews, um, which was both like my dream and my nightmare because as a filmmaker. Criticizing other filmmakers work is very difficult for me emotionally. I started working with CNN to review movies uh, then I was hired by Rotten Tomatoes I created their video content department from scratch and that now work with movie phone and just continue to like be opinionated in a public space and it's really a blessing. <laughs>
0: That is awesome. I know I've been watching you for a long time, so it's you very too. surreal to have you here on my show. So thank you so much. And Caitlin, you are part of Utah Film Critics Association, like I am.
1: Yeah, we but tell actually us how each you IRL. got your start. Uh, I kind of yeah, right. <laughs> I actually stumbled into film criticism rather by accident. I just started going to a lot of movies, especially Thursday night screenings uh, when they were doing a lot of midnight screenings on the logic that uh, people who are staying up till one or two o'clock in the morning are less likely to be jerks at that time. And I just started checking in on Facebook and uh, I would just, the paragraphs when people would ask me would think about the movies would get longer and longer and longer. And it was actually in the middle of a debate about space, Jesus in Prometheus with my parents priest that he said to me, (laughs) I know really (laughs) that I should, that I should start my own blog. And I blogged independently for a little while, got picked up by a uh, local uh, content uh, site here. That's unfortunately no longer around. And I got picked up by Bleeding Cool in November in 2016. I've been there ever since. Oh, wow. Woo! I'm there EIC that's really now.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. Wow. So what did you go to school in as far as your, or did you go to any kind of school before uh, I, I, before you became a critic?
1: I'm an English major so
0: English major nice I have
1: no formal training you talk real purdy (laughs) I talk real purdy
0: that's great well great (laughs) the first time that I ever saw you was on what the flick the review of Twilight Breaking Dawn part one (laughs) and you were talking about all the meaningful staring oh so (laughs) much. And I was wondering, what is that like when you give your feedback on a film with a fandom like that? Uh, I mean, I think that uh, they probably... Most of the Twilight fans have pretty thick skin at this point, probably. But I don't know. What was that like for you to be on something like that?
2: Um, I love the What the Flick crew. I'm so excited that they are now doing Breakfast All Day. You can find that podcast. Um, They're some of the greatest minds in cinema criticism working today, I think. Um, And so, and so I show up (laughs) to give that review with these wonderful people. Um, And uh, I did not thankfully get any flack. I got a lot of ha-has from the Twilight fans um, because I think that deep down they knew that I was right, first of all, but also Mm -hmm. secondly, that My perspective of the movies is very important that um, I really appreciate the fact that they are fans. Like Kevin Smith said it best the year that that Twilight showed up at Comic-Con and changed the game forever in San Diego by lining up overnight and like being so dedicated. um, Everybody wants to like trash those fans. And Kevin Smith said, listen, those fans are great because it got my daughter to read books and this is a whole bunch of kids that are joining us in the fandom and we should let them in. We don't need to be gatekeepers as to what's cool. we need to welcome these people and so that's always the that's always like the deep down perspective that I've come from. Um, I really like the actors that are involved in the movies. Uh, I give props where they're due and so I never got any negative, feedback from true fans I, I hope because deep down they understood that that's where I was coming from and I could be quoted saying similar things mm-hmm.
0: what do you think about that Caitlin about uh fan fandoms like the Twilight fandom and and when you're uh when you've had when you've done reviews and things
1: um well I don't like to poke the bear <laughs> there's no fun in yeah. poking the bear. <laughs> I've I've managed to go this long without getting a death threat. I would like to continue that streak. So fingers crossed. That's pretty good. Yeah, I know, right? Um, I mean, you have to... I think the biggest thing when it comes to criticizing something that has a very dedicated fandom is to not be mean-spirited about it. So, like, you can dislike something all you want, but you can't just... You have to at least show some compassion for the fans and that you understand why they like the thing and you know just let people like what they want to like it's fine like like what you like i don't care here's what i think about it if you don't agree with me then i'm not the critic you should be following follow somebody whose their um their opinions line up with yours usually but yeah. m- mine aren't then then that's fine and yeah i just don't think i think being not being mean-spirited about it is the best way to approach things with very strong fan bases
0: so on Bleeding Cool, you cover a lot of the news, movie news, and you do as well on Rotten Tomatoes. And I'm curious, how do you think that that affects your overall sort of coverage of the films? Like if you hear that something has had this rocky production or, or maybe there's a couple involved or just whatever, whatever the news is. Do you think do you find it hard to sort of separate that all and then just go and watch the movie and have an objective opinion? Uh, what do you think, Caitlin?
1: Uh, well, first of all, I think pure objectivity is impossible. We're all we all have some bias on some level. And being so in the thick of it, I actually think makes it even in some ways, it almost makes me even more forgiving. Because once you know the chaos that's going on, as Gray will tell you what the chaos behind it, in, uh, the camera is like, you tend to understand that, you know, reshoots happen like that's the big thing that has become a big thing in these last couple of years is people freaking out when reshoots happen even when they're like two weeks of reshoots are happening it's like that those are pickups those happen all the time it's a thing so i think understanding and gaining a better understanding of what the industry actually is makes a lot of those stories that get blown up into big deals into you know being like big clickbaity headlines they're actually not that big of a deal and it's just part of the natural filmmaking process.
0: What do you think, Gray? About yeah, that?
2: I, uh, I definitely get swayed. It, it, I try so hard to ignore everything in entertainment news as much as I can. Um, but uh, cause unfortunately I know how much I love it. Like I'm a gossiper. <laughs> like I don't, I don't personally personal like, Kind of. Um, I mean, I, I get so tickled when I hear like, ooh, this star is canoodling with this director. And then I'm like, girl, don't perpetuate that. Don't click on that link. That's rude. Don't do that. Um, I, it definitely colors the way that I see the film. And um, so much of film criticism and art criticism in general is just subjective that I, I want to drown out as much of it as I can so I could look at what's in front of me. Um, the longer that I do this job, the more impossible it is. I can usually tell within the first 10 minutes of a movie, like what's going on, what's going to happen, who the movie's for. And when I am surprised, it is a joy to behold. Mm-hmm. Just a magnificent experience that reminds me why I love this job.
0: Can you think of one off the top of your head that
2: really surprised you? Recently, Recently actually, I have one for sure. And it was like a big buildup for me emotionally, which was Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. Mm, I haven't seen it yet. Okay, so lucky for you, it is avail- it will be available to purchase it in April. I'm so excited. So I love... Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo. And I think what they achieve with Bridesmaids is a really momentous event in cinema. And uh, I mean, coming too late, of course, cause it's like women can be funny. What? You know, like that should have happened. That's not the first time that's happened. Um, but so they, they were exceptional then. And then this movie is sort of their next thing together And I was like, oh, God, this is just teetering on the brink of going to be terrible. And I'm just so nervous. And first 10 minutes of the movie, I watched it on the couch in my house and I could not stop giggling and was like immediately it shifted from like I had the answer to the question, does Gray like this? Because the answer was yes. And my next question immediately became, "Who?" Let them make this <laughs> because it is so weird and so fun and so consistent that I can't believe it got released. I was like, ah! <laughs> "What about you, Caitlin? Can you think of
0: one, a movie recently that really uh, uh, that you weren't expecting to like, and then you ended up liking?"
1: Uh, I wasn't say that it wasn't one that I like. When you mentioned ones that just like you. They take you by surprise, and you know within the first couple of minutes whether or not you like them. Honestly, the first thing that popped into my head was the first Sundance screening of *Assassination Nation* in 2018. Wow. I I love mm-hmm. that, like that that first screening when no one knew anything about the movie, we had no idea what it was, and the whole first opening montage is a list of trigger warnings, and oh. I just we were I lost my mind. I was so excited. For that movie, I'm sitting here and I'm like, this needs to be in the Alamo Draft House. They need to do women only screenings, and there's like a mandatory two wine glass minimum before you can start the movie for everyone. <laughs> I I just that's the first that like in terms wow, of I haven't one seen that, that one either. The one that sticks out in my head is that one. That that screening was absolutely wild because no one knew what to expect.
2: That's the one that I remember uh, you know the most. a couple of them that just like pop into my head so fast. Mm-hmm. John Wick. Hmm. Yep. I was like holy mackerel and similarly nobody that is brand new like you're it's like I kind of am over the genre of like average white men who are aging are all of a sudden badasses <laughs> <laughs> but these actors are what invigorate them and mm-hmm. Bob Odenkirk is just such a great choice so anyway yeah. What about you, Rachel? Do you have one? <laughs>
0: yeah, Rachel. Well, last year, I have to say, I think Love and Monsters really surprised me.
2: I oh. thought it was
0: so fun and just everything that you could kind of want in a movie. It was funny. It was sweet. It was romantic. It, it had adventure. It had creatures that were really clever and well done. And I just overall really, really enjoyed it. So that was wasn't one. That,
2: wasn't that the same writer that did um, Dora the Explorer? the movie um, i'm not sure i'd have to look it up i feel it like it because
0: right I that
1: too speaking of movies that were way better than you ever thought they would be
2: uh-huh yeah. where i yeah. was like whoa <laughs> again like who let them do this to a children's property and it, yet it's still like yeah. appropriate but it's yeah. so weird love i I think
0: another one that I'd heard enough positive buzz that I was pretty sure that I would like it, but I I don't think I expected to love Parasite as much as I ended up loving it, and I uh, I mean I, I don't think I, I knew what to expect. You know, I thought this was going to be an art house kind of film or, or whatever. And I just thought it was great. <laughs> I loved the characters. I loved the fact that it had something to say, but it was subtle about it and interesting about it. And you could have discussions about it and, and the whole look and feel of it. And uh, I thought, I mean, I saw it th- as many times as I could in the theater. I saw it when it was in black and white. I saw it. I just absolutely adored it. And when it won best picture, I just was like, that can't be. The best film never actually wins. <laughs> Crazy, like, right? I feel, I feel like with the Oscars, I'm always like, yeah, I feel like with the Oscars, I'm always like, yeah, that's, that's a good movie, but I'm never like super pumped about them. And, uh, and so this, that was the first year that I was like, in a long time, at least that I was like,
2: yes, such a special movie and such a special group of people that made it happen.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: I, I did a Q and a with Bong Joon-ho and the entire cast Oh, wow. And it was so I was like, so nervous because I wanted to do justice to this great film. And I wanted my questions, which are notoriously all over the map, to be easily translated. Um, I wanted to I wanted everyone to get the most that they could out of it. And what was incredible is, I mean, first of all, Sharon was Bong's translator and like went with him to every event she's such a superstar her understanding of language and nuance and subtlety in numerous languages is exceptional and so what would happen is i'd ask the question in english everyone's understanding it and pondering it then sharon has it make even more sense by sharing it in korean and then in this audience that was literally from all over the world Bong or or any of the actors would respond in Korean, the Korean speakers would laugh, and then Sharon would translate and the English speakers and the Korean speakers would laugh. And like it was like the most magical thing because it made me feel like film is universal. This is why we love it. This is why we do this because it doesn't matter where you're from or what language you speak. Like people everywhere understand Similar concepts. I just I love it so much. It gets me so amped. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, it was such an exciting uh, awards uh, run that they had. It was great. It was like the last good thing in
1: 2020. The only. I I mean, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) For being honest here.
0: Yeah. But great. I wanted to ask you, so you do a lot of interviews or you have in your podcast and other things. And I do a lot of interviews for my podcast. And I was just curious, again, how do you not have that sort of affect your kind of view of the films after you've talked to them and you've gotten to know them? It's something that I feel like I'm pretty good at, but it's definitely something I, I have to, you know, try to make sure that It's not too coloring my views.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm always aware of what my own biases are, and I generally try to call myself out on them as clearly and openly as possible. Um, Thankfully for me, these days, the majority of my work is through radio and television. Mm -hmm. And so it's a lot easier for me to give context through my speech. So when I would be talking about Parasite, for instance, I would be talking about the film from my perspective as a filmmaker and critic, but at the same time would definitely mention that I have spoken directly with these people and I think that they're just delightful. (laughs) And and so I try to make my bias as clear as I can at all times uh, because, you know, if I'm not going to say it, I mean, I should be the one to say it. Let's put it that way. I don't want someone else to say it. Right. Yeah. I mean, and luckily,
0: most of the Hallmark movie, because that's mostly who I interview is Hallmark people, is and most of them, I mean, we try to give critical analysis in Hallmark East podcast, but it's still, it's not like the, the most serious analysis that you could give. I mean, it's well, yeah, Hallmark I mean- movies. Yeah. So I guess I just take everything with a little bit of a grain of salt.
2: (laughs) I I feel like with with criticism, the, especially having worked for Rotten Tomatoes, like all people want to talk about is like, well, what's the tomato meter? And I think that that is a very boring question. I think Mm -hmm. that really what, what is important as a, as a uh, like someone receiving criticism uh, as like a a fan that's reading a review in in my opinion the gold of criticism is not just picking someone that has the same taste as you it's picking someone to read or to listen to that whose whose perspective you appreciate mm-hmm. and that is ultimately the secret to how we become more well-rounded people not everyone is interested in having that conversation as the internet has taught us many times <laughs> but that's what i do it's like i don't want i don't want to read Leonard Maltin, just because I agree with him all the time, I want to read his reviews because I think that he's a brilliant mind.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I wish the people understood as far as Rotten Tomatoes goes, the struggle that are for like eighty percent of the movies I see, I'm kind of like, eh, that was pretty good. It was okay. Yeah. Like, and and trying to decide whether that. Mm, is it negative or positive? Is very hard sometimes. I have a lot of two and a half star out of five reviews. What do I do with that? Where do I put it? And I think that for most critics, the difference between a four and a six out of ten, not that much. Yeah. Would you
2: agree, Caitlin?
1: I would absolutely agree. As as much as I, I see what Rotten Tomatoes is doing, and I absolutely think that it's it's important. But at some, on another level, it's like, you know, as critics, we were talking earlier about, you know, going into a movie and actually being surprised. And for general audiences, we don't, they don't get that. You know, if you, you know, you go back to the restaurant model. If somebody only eats at one restaurant a year and that restaurant is McDonald's, then McDonald's was the best restaurant they ate at that year. If somebody only sees one movie a year and that movie was, I don't know, Transformers then Transformers was the best movie they saw that year. And that's where I feel like the audience and critical divide can happen sometimes when we lose our minds over these weird indie movies and everyone's like, why, why are you freaking out? So I mean, Rotten Tomatoes is a tough thing because it is, you're like, okay, is this, how much is this going to sway? Is this going to, is this a positive? Is this a negative? I know for me, like when I was doing the Snyder cut, I was like, is is this a positive? Is this a negative? I really don't know. And is it? Yeah, it's, it's tough. It really is.
2: Yeah. And then you're like, how do I review the same film twice? I already did this.
1: <laughs> the key was, you have never seen it again since you saw it in 2017 and literally not remember a single frame. <laughs> that was how I did it. I know. Well, and- I'm with you.
0: Yeah, well, and I said I was going to use this for my un- uh, for my review I'm proud of, actually, later on. But I I didn't even feel like the Snyder Cut was an actual movie. I said in my review I felt like it was an event, like something you – would like Muppets 3D or something like that at an at, at uh, amusement park, but obviously four hours long. It's not really a movie. It's not a series either, so what do I do with it? Like it was just sort of – I don't know what – I, I don't know what to do about this. I always try to ask myself the question of what what was this movie made for? Who was it made for? Sure. What was the idea? Yeah, and is it successful in doing what it's trying to do? So when I watch a Hallmark Christmas movie, I'm not I'm not looking at it the same way as I am when I'm watching Nomadland or Minari or something like that. I <laughs> I'm watching. Did it did it make a successful Christmas movie? uh for you know an hour and 20 minutes was it did they have good chemistry is it sweet is it is it a sweet romance I, that's what i'm looking at and i'm looking at different things when i watch Land. and it's the same thing with the snyder cut like i had to look at myself and say is it successful in doing what it's trying to do and in my opinion the answer was yes i and other people you know would have different opinions but i would say i didn't love it it wasn't like my favorite thing in the world but it was fine thought
2: it was okay. So I gave it a positive. I think think that anyone that is consuming criticism is best serving themselves by, uh, taking it as, I mean, this, it's like, it's like just, it's, it is one way of seeing it hopefully delivered to you by a person whose thoughts you're interested in hearing. Um, Rotten Tomatoes is designed to be very splashy, and to make it very, give movies very distinct scores. It's not meant to be a cinema score that's like middle of the road. It's not designed like that. And um, I can't even count how many times that the stupid tomato meter was not what I believed. And just before I go, is this movie Courtney Cox directed, and it was like, seven years ago or something and I had never seen it and I had it on HBO and I looked on RT and it was like, I, I looked it up so I could tell you it's like 10%. Mm-hmm. The movie's good. You guys, it's good. I cannot believe that lowest score. And I'm like, ugh, the tomato meter strikes yep. again. Yep. It yeah. does. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, so one thing I like to ask on this show is why do you think that female coverage and th- female criticism is, is important? Or do you think that a review is a review and it doesn't matter who who what the gender is of the person who's written the review? I don't know. What do you think, Caitlin?
1: I mean, absolutely. We need more representation across the board for film criticism. Not just across genders, but across religious beliefs, sexual orientation, just like all aspects of it. I mean, it's not being... I'm not lying when I say it's like 70 30 male, I think, male to female, I think, or something like that on Rotten Tomatoes. So, like, going back to the dreaded tomato meter, it's like you're looking at it and it's like that's not even an accurate representation of what all film critics think of. It's only the film critics who are able to be on Rotten Tomatoes. So, we, we, different perspectives for everything is good because no two people have lived the same life and no two people are going to have the same criticism of a movie. But we absolutely need more representation across. Uh, across this industry and female criticism we just we absolutely do and it always makes me so happy like I was so thrilled when you joined the ufca uh rachel because now there's a whole three girls there's three of us hooray I was like well and I was
0: (laughs) I was so excited for that because they had actually denied me the year before Mm -hmm. because I hadn't done a very good job in my application of showing my depth of criticism I I think they had the idea that I was just a Disney person and and a Hallmark person, which I'm not like, I've covered all the festivals I've covered. I mean, I have over 1500 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. And so I think that they had the wrong idea. And, and, but then once they saw me going to all of the screenings that year in 2019, I think they were like, Oh yeah. Okay. She doesn't just cover Disney. Um, But I was pretty depressed when they denied me. (laughs) So when I got
2: in, like, yes. But that's <laughs> but good for you. Yeah. For continuing to try, because the secret to all of this, the secret to being successful in any path and having your voice heard, is just continually using it, and and just making sure. Because eventually, everyone that has something to say is going to find an audience. There's no question about it. But mm-hmm. the real, the telling part is that when times get really tough and like, for instance, when you are super depressed that you get rejected, you eventually you picked yourself back up and you reapplied and look at you now. Like that's a, that's a huge accomplishment. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And I also want to tell people that having your content be a like side hustle can be the best blessing of all is it can be something fun that adds this great dynamic to your life. And and yet it doesn't consume your life it doesn't take over your life and so don't be depressed that you're maybe not as successful as you want to be uh but but it might be actually the kind of the perfect spot for you is the sort of middle ground that can add this great little spice to your life but not again not take over your life
1: oh i i know all about the the being consumed by your work thing i have a terrible <laughs> work life balance <laughs> Well, it's even gotten so much worse. Yeah, it's way worse for me
0: in since the pandemic, because all the stuff that was sort of my balance has all been taken away. So like my church and going swimming and and other things that I used to do gone. And so it's now it's just work, 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 work all the time. And once I start going back to church, once I get my vaccination, It's going to be a little bit of an adjustment because I've just been using Sundays all day for work, work, work. Oh my God, that's going to be weird. But it was just my coping mechanism to just dive into 100% just working all the time. But luckily it's stuff I love to do. So that's the drug of it. But, you know, I still have sort of my, I still have my part-time job that I do and I'm lucky that I'm able to do it, you know, from home and, uh, and able to make it all work. With all of my uh, work as a critic and as a podcaster, but I, I think that you can have so much fun on a channel before you have to deal with sponsorships and and uh, and mean comments and you know just some of the stuff that comes when you're bigger. So it's not always so. Enjoy the spot where you're at is what I'm basically what I want, Wish I could tell people.
2: I think that there is a certain magic to doing something just because you love it, not because it's what gets clicks and not just because you're making money. Um, And I look back fondly on those times in my life. And I think that it takes a lot of, you know, uh, sort of like looking at yourself and looking at your work and, and reevaluating just to make sure that you're following your passion still because all of those things that you add into it when you become successful in the traditional sense, uh, they, they change a person. So I am different now and I interact professionally very differently now than I used to. And so I try to stay aware of that. And I try to remember that I'm doing this just because I was like, at one point a sixth grader that just like bossed all my friends around and told them what movie to see every week. Like that was me. And I still am that person. And I, so I, I just try to stay, try to stay connected to that person.
1: I mean, I, when I started out doing this, I, I wasn't even getting paid at all. (laughs) I I was working for one of those sites where they had just enough ads on it to keep the lights on. So no one was making any money, which in terms of, Sites not making, not paying you is about the best I think I could have hoped for. It wasn't like I was working for a site that someone was making a living off of. Well, not paying me. I mean, it, there was a huge difference into when I started doing this full time and when I was just doing it for fun. But um, I real, I I do enjoy ha- having this be my job. It's it's an incredible, incredible job. It really is. It's so much fun, and I have to say, in some ways. Um, I was actually very grateful for 2020 because I don't live in L.A., so getting invites to Junkets was impossible, but with Zoom, I've actually had more opportunities this year than I have ever before, me and my my TV section at Bleeding Coal. So I really hope that in terms of, you know, again, branching out, giving more people a chance, I feel like now that we've normalized Zoom, we've normalized Doing stuff over the internet. I'm hoping that more smaller sites and people outside of LA and New York will get the chance to, you know, hone their skills in an interview because it is a, a skill you need to learn how to do interviewing talent. And I really hope that studios will keep um keep virtual press days once things return to normal. I would I, I would really enjoy that.
2: I think they will. Yeah, I was going to ask you about every, that, Greg, because I know they're covering.
0: Yeah, I know that covering Comic-Con is a big thing for you. And
2: how do you think that 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 all is going to evolve? My best guess is this. Going forward, uh, some people, studios, talent, handlers are really enthusiastic about going back to in-person stuff. However, Zoom stuff is so much more cost-effective and is really leveling the playing field for movies that don't have big budgets. And it's giving people more access, like Caitlin, like you're talking about, which is super important these days and something that everyone is striving to achieve. So my vision of the future as I see it happening slowly is that there will be both, and that there's going to be so much opportunity for content that it will open things up for everyone who still has yet to be heard by a larger audience. So as we're focused on an award season that's very diverse and uh, more critics from underrepresented places that we're we're going to, there's a, there's plenty of room now, there's a swell and I think that it's fantastic. I love it.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Too. yeah. I was thinking about it because I haven't been to the Comic-Con, but I have been to D23 twice. Mm-hmm. And it's it is a great experience, but it's also completely exhausting. And there's definitely a side of me that if they were like, here, you can join the big hall virtually for like 50 bucks, I'm on yeah, I'm there.
1: And- oh yeah, I've I, I've slept out for let's see, I've slept out for Hall H. I've done Star Wars Celebration, and I've slept out for a D23 panel. And uh, let me tell you, those experiences you make friends that you will have for the rest of your yeah. life. There's <laughs> no one like mine, buddy. When it comes to overnight lines, but man, are they some of they're just they're awful. Like they're 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 a misery loves company situation. And I really hope going into whenever we have San Diego or D23 or any of those again, I really hope we get rid of the overnight lines. I hope we don't have to do that anymore. It's just, how did we yeah. ever normalize that? It's yeah, just, it's, it's
2: going it's, to, it's tricky. I guess I didn't, I didn't address a Comic-Con specifically. Um, I, I don't have a good vision for those mm-hmm. because everyone is going to be operating simultaneously in the worlds of super pumped to get back also very squirrely about being around other people and mm-hmm. i think it might be a couple of years even when the cons start operating again i think that it will be a while before we see something comparable to all the overnight lines of the past you know it's it's going to be really weird <laughs> you yeah. don't I don't know what it I looks just, like. I
1: just said to my mom the other day, I'm like, I'm going to wear a mask at every convention for the rest of my life. I get I mean, every comic Con drivers. Every single time I go to a convention, I come home yeah. sick. As you would not believe I'm wearing a mask for the rest of my life at a con unless I'm on camera. At least you
0: can work in at cosplay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> working into cosplay. You can it's be Raya. Be- she
2: has a yeah, mask. I'm just going to be, I'm just going to be sub zero at Comic-Con for the rest of my life. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's fine. Well, <laughs> so, we're gonna make it work. so what we
0: like to do on this show is talk about an unpopular opinion that we've had and what that experience was like. And I, since I just barely finished South by Southwest, I I definitely had some unpopular opinions. There's one called The In-Between Girl, which I wasn't a big fan of. And then there's a a, a musical called The Best Summer Ever, which I totally admire. It's it's very inclusive casting with uh, people of all different disabilities, and that's awesome. And I admire that. And it was definitely made with the best of intentions, with a very sweet cast. And so, it's very difficult to say that mm-hmm. I thought it was extremely amateurish. Yeah. <laughs> all the time.
2: Man, and I worse. thought the
0: music was, was, there wasn't one memorable tune. And I was hyped for it because I love musicals. And I, I, I was hoping it would be something kind of like a sweeter version of uh, Anna and the Apocalypse, Apocalypse which I loved, uh, which was an indie kind of, you know, small budget uh, uh, oh, musical. And that's what I was hoping for, but I just thought it was so bland and there was just not a single sort of hummable song. And it's hard because you don't want to be mean to these people that are so sweet and so great, but I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. Uh, so I, you know, have to be real and explain why, but it, you know, it can be, it can be a challenging thing when you're at the festival and these darlings of the festival. Like I, memorably a few years ago, I did not like Britney uh, runs a marathon, Oh, which was the big movie of that. I just thought she was just such a jerk and I did not care about her at all. <laughs> and and so, you know, that's an experience to kind of have the unpopular opinion in the festival, I think uh, is something that every critic has every uh, most festivals. You have at least one that you're like, "What?" Uh that's the big uh, favorite. Uh what about you, Gray? What do you think of an unpopular opinion?
2: Um I <laughs> I learned the hard way that when you put your thoughts into the public sphere, that the public is there to hear you. And so I was just filleting a movie called chain letter. And it is like a lesser known horror movie. It, it makes no sense. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to like, I've always come from, I consider myself more of an entertainer, really, than anything else. And so a lot of my criticism is couched in comedy. And mm-hmm. so when I was making jokes about this completely ridiculous film, the phone rang, like the live line, which I answered is I don't have a call screener. And it was the screenwriter. <laughs> 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 wow. It was terrified. <laughs> like I needed clean pants. And so I had no choice, but to stand my ground. I had said what I had said. And instead I turned it into an opportunity to talk to him about the screenwriting process as he saw it. And at what point of the screenplay was he most involved? And like, <laughs> etcetera. And I was like, I think ultimately I was trying to deflect like what a dick I had just been. But, <laughs> but <laughs> I stood by what I had said. I didn't like just go back on it and be like, no, no, it was great. Um, but I, I think you know, turning it again into like a human moment, calling yourself out and then using it almost as a way to educate filmmakers that were listening, like what happens? To your stuff when you when you put it out there. Um, as it turns out, the the he had the, he had written an earlier draft, and the later draft got super changed. So he mm-hmm. he found my commentary a little bit funnier than the other screenwriter would have. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that it it scared me bad enough that it taught me a super important lesson, which is that there are real people behind your what you're criticizing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I've had that a few times with the Hallmark films. You know, normally I try to, again like you, couch it in humor and and people know that I'm a film critic. And so that, you know, I, I believe in being honest, but you know, you still try to usually I feel like we're lucky because there's usually somebody else on the podcast that all that likes the film or we're able to balance it out somehow. <laughs> yeah. And, but you know, just the other day I was interviewing a director and she asked me point blank, did you like this movie that, uh, that she did this? Boo, and boo,
2: <laughs> boo. <laughs> so
1: mean. And
0: I, I said, it was a mixed bag, which was true. <laughs> I liked it. It was
1: so diplomatic. Well done.
0: <laughs> and uh and when then we moved on and it was fine, but yeah.
1: Mixed bag. That's really so what you're
2: saying. Oh my god, so funny. But the, the yeah. but again, I I commend your courage in saying that because most people that interact directly with the filmmakers or the talent would have said I loved it, but you saying it was a mixed bag, y- you might as well have been like it was a piece of dog crap.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I know my audience enough, and they know me enough that if I were to have said that I loved it, when they know I they know I didn't, and I said it on the podcast, then they they would call me out on it, mm-hmm. and I can't do that.
2: That's your so, good job. Like really not super not easy to do that really nice work.
1: <laughs> and <laughs> I proceeded to focus
2: on the the, the mixed positive that I liked. <laughs> oh my God, that always reminds me of this sketch. And thirty, like a part of 30 Rock where Jenna is in terrible plays all the time and Liz goes and sees them. And every time she just finds something she can be nice about and eventually it devolves into, wow, the paper that you made these programs on is so nice. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> it's like when uh, Barney
0: goes to Lily's plays, I made He's like, I can't take it uh but very that's very true what about you galen what's an unpopular opinion that you've had recently or that you want to talk about
1: i'm trying to think um there's usually at least one in the awards season that'll get me i always say is like this is the movie that i don't like that's going to get me at kicked out of the cool critics club like Mm -hmm. i really didn't like once upon a time in hollywood i really didn't like the revenant i hated green book hated green book (laughs) That was, that was one of my, I, there's during the UFCA meetings, there's usually at least one time that Caitlin will get up on her soapbox and boy was I on my soapbox for, for Green Book. But um, one of the ones that, again, the first one that popped into my mind was, incidentally, a movie nobody talks about anymore. It was uh, the Jennifer Lawrence movie, Red Sparrow. And oh, I really, yeah. really disliked that movie. And as soon as the embargo came down, the social media embargo, I immediately went out there and was like, so FYI, everyone, there's a lot of sexual assault and like coercion and and bad stuff going on here. And I, I was personally triggered by it. Here's what you need to know. You know, this is it. I just remember I, I got completely dragged on Twitter by Jennifer Lawrence stands who were so mad that I, and that even that I didn't hate it, just that I went out of my way to point out that I, that I just wasn't okay with all of the, bad stuff going on in it <laughs> and yeah that was that was that was memorable i was like that was one of those moments where i was like oh there's a there's a whole bunch of people i forgot stan twitter was a thing yeah and i made it mad the they, individual they,
0: they, actor yeah the individual actor stands can be the the worst of all uh because they i don't know they just have no i feel like the franchise fans kind of are aware that there's bad entries and good entries in their franchise for the most part uh, but these individuals like the Emma Watson stands. <laughs> oh my gosh, when Beating the Beast* was coming out, it was it was intense. I uh, I recently had it with Demi Lovato because I did not like her documentary. Mm. It was very weird the way mm. they put it together. I thought It's South by Southwest and yeah, they they were not happy with you tweet me. about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I like her. fine as a Human*. I just didn't think the documentary was very well put together. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's an interesting experience. <laughs> uh, so uh, then we like to talk about on the show sort of a project or a review or something that we've done that we're proud of. And uh, since I mentioned Justice League earlier, I will say one that was very I was very proud of last year was I wrote my review of Words on Bathroom Walls, which I don't know if either of you got to see, but I thought it was a hidden gem for the year. I really enjoyed it. And I think Charlie Plummer is such a great young actor. I think he's very good. And I really thought it was is, is a movie about a kid that has schizophrenia. And so I wrote when I was writing my review, I said, I know nothing about schizophrenia. So I would be curious if anybody's reading that knows something about it would offer their perspective and if they liked the movie. And I, you know, because I have no idea if it's even accurate at all, or maybe it's insulting. That I just don't know. And so I wrote this in. And then I had a young man contact me from my review who has schizophrenia and I ended up actually having him on the podcast and we talked it all out because he really loved the movie and we got to hear his perspective. And I, cause I think that the stigma around mental illness is such BS and it makes me really mad. And so I felt so proud of having a chance for him to have an empowered moment and to talk about his uh, his life and in uh, this movie. And it, the director, Tor Frudenthal, he heard it and he liked it so much Then then I interviewed him. Mm-hmm. And it was just such a positive, awesome experience. And the uh, the young man, he's now doing his own blog and he's talking about his life. And I just, it was a really cool moment. And the fact that, you know, somebody read my little blog And, you know, kind of ripple effect on there uh, made me really happy. So that's that's one thing I'm very proud of from last year. Woo! But (laughs) what about you, Gray?
2: I have made the most of a really difficult year um, and have finally, without uh, limitations because of an employer, I've finally been able to start my own YouTube channel. It's not something that Mm. I've actually legally been able to do. And so I finally started it and I can see so far what it's turning into is a really interesting resource for certainly film lovers, but definitely aspiring filmmakers, uh, because I've been getting to do a lot of long form interviews with people making all kinds of movies. So I've done a lot of indies, um, some big releases, and I love diving in with people. Uh, to talk about like, you know, the stuff that rarely gets hit on because it's not necessarily the sexy stuff. I, I'm i so interested in just the exchange around film, like how passionate we all are. That it's been cool to get support just for my stuff outside of the brands that I've been working with. And so I'm continuing it on Clubhouse too. So um, for anybody that is on Clubhouse, it's this really cool sort of live interactive podcasting app where you can join rooms and you hear people talk and you can also join in, you know, when, and, uh, it's just super fun. Like it's helping me remember exactly what I was talking about earlier. It's it's reintroducing me to the person that I was a long time ago that would have done anything to have this job, you know, and, and it's so fun just to get to talk to new people. I love it. I wish they have it on Android. I know it's coming. it'll It'll happen really soon. I absolutely guarantee. Because I think that will be really fun. Uh, what about
0: you, Caitlin? What's something that you're proud of that you participated in that you worked on?
1: Just in the last year or overall? Because I've got two answers. Just so, overall. Okay, so uh, overall, it was a similar situation to yours, actually, Rachel. Uh, I wrote a very, very negative review of Patriot's Day, that Mark Wahlberg movie about the Boston Bombers, and somebody from Boston who has family who was a police officer who was involved with that situation sent me a private DM on Facebook and told me how much he appreciated the fact that I completely called that movie out for making Mark Wahlberg a fictional person the center of the movie when there were actual real people there doing the work. And it was just, it was another one of those moments where I'm like, Oh wow. Somebody, somebody read my stuff. And like, he was like, ah, I sent it to all of my friends. It's going like, I, 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 there are people in the Boston police department who are reading it and we really appreciate it. You know, that the fact that you think we should have been the actual heroes when you know, we were, and that was, that was really, really cool. Was, was hearing that from somebody. And, and that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, last year, yeah, the thing that... That I wrote last year that I liked the most. I did a two part, like 2000 plus word essay on virtual conventions and uh, events that I really enjoyed working on and that I'm really proud of that. I just dove into all of it. Like what, what happened? What works? What didn't, where are we going from here? What does the future of conventions look like? I'm really proud of that because I, I put a lot into that. I worked on that for a long time and yeah, it was, I'm proud of that one. That's great.
0: Well, we'll have links for all of your content in the description, so Make sure everybody checks it out. And thank you so much to both of you for coming and doing this. This was so much fun for me. And uh, I really am grateful for all the work that both of you do. And uh, so great, where can people find you and your content?
2: Uh, it's always my name. So it's G-R-A-E- d-r-a-k-e gray drake um so you can find me on youtube and instagram the most also on twitter facebook uh all those places uh columns are on movie phone interviews are all over the dang place uh but Mm -hmm. i and also on clubhouse now so yay (laughs) yes caitlin what about
1: you uh, you can find all of my stuff over at Bleeding Cool. I write reviews and editorial and news and pretty much everything we can think of. I'm actually going to be doing weekly reviews for Falcon and Winter Soldier, which I'm excited about. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Katie's Movies.
0: Great. And you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all over social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. And also make sure you're following the Homeworkies podcast. Lots of good, fun stuff over there. And we also have our patron group and merch stores. So check that out. We have the female film critics panel merch logo designs, which are really fun. So check that out. And thanks again so much. And we'll see y'all next month. Bye everyone.